Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. So blessed to be back with you here on this episode. As I talked on last episode about Ezra and about Jerubbabel and how Jerubbabel began to build the temple back, of course, you know, uh, in that era of time that Jerubbabel came and rebuilt the temple, but then it was Ezra's job then to bring in the law and call the people back to the word of God and to the scripture. But then later come Nehemiah, and I kind of want to extend this from there. The last episode and podcast that I did was why Christianity doesn't work. And that was basically the idea why some people believe that they've tried this Christian thing and it doesn't work. But now we move past that. So now uh, past the time of where the temple was rebuilt. And then now we're moving into the time to where after Ezra then has come and read the law. And of course, we know all this means that it's it's the life of the believer, also Jerusalem, God's promised people. But at the same time, it's a call to us as Christians of what the Christian life should look like. It's a process. You know, the Bible says it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's how we learn. But we pass on from the time that then the temple was rebuilt, then the word of God was brought back by Ezra, then we go into Nehemiah's time. We know Nehemiah then was to construct the walls. He was allowed by the king of Assyria, Xerxes, to be able to go in and build the walls. And in building the walls, he he did something wonderful. He began to protect the city. See, it was kind of just chaos. The women had been sold into slavery. There had been a horrible economy. There's really no tax that was set up and no real infrastructure set up to become a nation again, just kind of a chaos. There was uh, you know, children being sold into slavery, and it was just horrible. If you to pay your own taxes, you had to sell your own child into slavery. I can't think of a more destitute situation than that. And of course, there were some people that were left there, uh, some Jewish people that had been that were left for years, and they had taken some of the other people, which is where the Samaritans kind of came from, and and they were uh, blending in with other religions and and worshiping God, but also worshiping other gods and idols. And that was kind of picture of this. The walls were broke down, burnt down, holes knocked into them, but then they had a temple. But but Nehemiah's job was then to build this city wall to protect it. And we know the story of Nehemiah, and I don't want to get in much of that. I hope you've studied that. If you haven't, I encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah. It's not very long. It's a fairly easy book to understand. But then at Nehemiah, after he rebuilt the city wall, he had to rebuild the gates. And that's what I want to spend some time on talking about Jerusalem's gates and and what some of those are symbolic of. And I want to mention this. I've studied this at great detail, and I'd started, oh, probably 14 years ago studying these walls, and, and I've also looked into some sense, and it seems like all the time I come across something or a different idea about these walls, So, uh, but, they, but they are symbolic of some things, and you know, if you've heard they're symbolic of other things, that's fine, but I think it's important to understand that it's, as a Christian, we not only have to be saved and accept Christ, but we have to build walls because we can't just let anything come into our life. Just let anything come into our spirit or our soul. And Nehemiah's job, you know, I think we're so, talk about so much about building bridges to people, we forget that we still have to build walls to keep things out that are not godly. Walls did two things, and then uh, they also kept something inside that was good, and they kept things out that were bad. But then you have a gate. So God doesn't call us to be a secluded city with no gates, but he has us to open and close the gates as we will. Nehemiah, his 
decree was don't let the gates open until the sun comes down on the gate. So at nighttime, when they were in, whenever they could, where they were vulnerable at the latest hour of the night, they would close the gates and they would put a guard over the city gates. And I think that's a perfect picture that we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our lives. We have to be ready. You know, Ephesians says that we're to put on the whole armor of God. But as so those gates were guarded because otherwise the, the enemy could get in whenever they wanted. And those gate, those city, the city wall was about two and a half miles around. So it wasn't so huge that just impossible task. Uh, of course, we know Nehemiah did it in just over a month, but they were 40 foot tall, eight feet wide. There were 34 watchtowers on these walls. Man, I, I got to thinking about that. And that's a pretty amazing task that Nehemiah had done to repair those walls. We know they weren't all rubble down to nothing, but there were holes knocked in them. You know, there were some that were maybe half walls, some that were all the way to the ground. You could drive, you know, you could ride horses through areas of the walls and other areas of the walls were up, but he had to patch up and repair and fix those walls. But when he began building these gates, uh, first of all, I want to talk about each gate and kind of what they're symbolic of. And we know this symbolisms. Anytime we study the scripture and we think of something symbolic, it may symbolize something, or it may be a type of something or a shadow of something. So we got types, shadows, and symbols. And I believe that there's symbolic meanings to these gates. And first of all, I want to talk about the valley gate. And the valley gate, Nehemiah, that's where Nehemiah started. He went in at nighttime and he went in and he, he went up and he, he looked at the city walls, but he went in through this gate, which was the valley gate. And it was a low gate. And you can imagine as Nehemiah walked through that gate, the feeling he had. I don't think Nehemiah, you know, there was, there's not even a gate hanging there. It was probably laying over there beside it on the ground somewhere, maybe even broken in pieces. He said in Nehemiah chapter three, that he had to repair the gates that were there. So that's in a picture of this Christian light, we're repairing things that the enemy's destroyed. And as he walked into that, the entire city was destroyed. He had had, he had had no help at this time. He really didn't have a vision. The only thing he had was materials. He had money and he did have some people that went on this journey to him. Probably took him about four months to travel from Palestine to Jerusalem, from being the king's cupbearer to where he was here. And you can imagine him sitting there with his few armed guards. And as he's going through this gate thinking, man, look how uh, difficult a place this was. This was a valley that Nehemiah was in. And so I believe that the Valley Gate and Dr. Reiner in his book also refers to this, that being these depressive thoughts, you can think as Nehemiah went in that it's very depressing to see this city in the shape it was in. This was God's chosen chosen city at one time, you know, the strong arm. Remember of in Solomon's time, nobody would even come close to contest or coming against that city. But then the Babylonians, because of the Israelites' hard hearts and accepting sin of their lives, then the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar had came in and had destroyed that city. And you just have to be so careful in our Christian life. One of the first things you have to stop is some of that shame and guilt and those depressing thoughts. You know, I, I know it's not all just mind over matter. I heard that said before, if you don't mind, it don't matter. Well, there are things that have happened to us in our past and things that happened to us that are depressing. And this was a major place for Nehemiah to start. You know, he had to face the fact that, you know, the Jewish people, People, you know, the apple of God's eye had dest- had allowed their city to be destroyed. They went from a superpower to a nun power. 
to where almost they were so vulnerable because of what they had done. And let me tell you something, friends, if you're battling with addiction or you're working with anybody in addiction, if you're working with anybody that's been through a divorce, if you're working through anybody who's had any kind of abuse, sexual abuse or verbal abuse or physical abuse, any kind of abuse, you're going to have to help them battle these depressing thoughts. You're going to have to help them fight this battle because this is such a crucial battle. The scripture says this in Psalms 23, 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There are some valleys we have to walk through when we get right with God. I can remember when I lost all my friends, when I walked away from a lifestyle full of sin, and it was like I was all alone. I had my children, and that was about it. I didn't have much encouragement. So I remember going down to the church three and four times a week just for anything. If they were having a garage sale at the church, I'd show up with no money. It didn't matter because I had these low, it it was a low place, though it was a great place because I was saved and God had saved my soul and I felt good. There was still these depressing thoughts because I had squandered away 29 years of my life out in the the realm of sin and the devil's dungeon is where I was at. And there was some depressing things having to face everything I've ever believed in was now nothing. It it all just burned up and went away. Everything I'd tried to build in my life was, had been destroyed. Basically, everything that I loved, I began to hate. And everything I hated, I began to love. That's how my salvation experience was. But there were some depressing thoughts. I had to then take my identity in Christ. I had to then say, I refuse, no matter what someone says about me, no matter how bad I feel about a situation, I refuse to believe the ploy of the enemy. I will not be depressed. I will not have these thoughts. It was by choice. See, Nehemiah, when this gate was rebuilt, he had a choice to close the gate. And he had a choice to to open the gate. Hey, there are some low things we'll go through once we're a Christian, but we do not have to accept these thoughts. I believe that all things work for the good for those who love God and who are called according to his, to his purpose. Romans chapter 8 tells us, and remember this, what Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. When Paul wrote that to the Philippians, he knew that the thought realm was a major realm to win. The thought realm, these these ideas that were no good, the shame and the discouragement that we've had is we have to come against that and we have to fix our mind on the things of God. But then there's the fountain gate. So the valley gate was that one, then the fountain gate. And you know, the fountain gate was near the Pool of Siloam. Uh, Pastor Zane and I have been to the Pool of Siloam. Uh, We went there to the old city of David. Remember, the, the new city's there, and it's about over twice the size, I believe. But this the old city was just about two and a half miles around. So it wasn't it wasn't a huge place, and uh, you can walk around it, you know, pretty easily in a day. We did. But there's a pool of Siloam there, and this pool of Siloam was fed by a spring, the Gihon, G-I-H-O-N, the Gihon Spring. And so the, the spring that fed this pool all the time, this gate kind of protected it, but also it made it of easy access for people that would be coming in on a long journey journey. You know, they would need water, of course, one of the first thing to fill their their wine skins up, if you will, or the canteens, if you will. You know, they would need to feed maybe even water their animals. And so that was there. The Pool of Siloam was there. But this fountain gate was a place that anytime I see fountain in the scripture, I think of the Spirit of God. 
And the spirit of God is one thing that you need to allow in. But there's also a time things that may look like God or things that may you've been told are God or things you've been raised up in. I know people that have some great, uh, what I want to say, that have, that have some great rituals they go to. And I say great. I don't mean that in a negative connotation. Some rituals they go through, some things they go through, and they need to have things a certain way. And they like to pray a certain way or say a certain thing. And I'm not against all that. But I think we have to be very careful that the thing that feeds us is not legalism, that we don't fall into this trap of legalism that, you know, God only works in this dimension. You know, God is more than three dimensional. He's more than four dimensional. He's 10 trillion dimensional. And I don't even know what that means. But there is a dimension that God lies in that's, yeah, his, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we can't understand him, but we need to be open to the spirit of God. You know, not open to the things of the devil, not open to everything that says it's God, but be open to the spirit of God. And it says this in the scripture, Psalm 24, three, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand on his holy place? He who hath clean hands, a pure heart, he who hath not lifted up his soul to the vanity and worshiped idols, nor sworn deceitfully. Listen, some of the things we do, even in the church, I love the church. I, I'm in church three, four times a week. I spend a lot of time in the church. I work in the church. I love the church, but we have to be so careful that sometimes we don't fall into that legalism and then even hypocrisy sometimes and say, because you don't do this, then you don't have this, or because you don't do this. Listen, I encourage everyone to go to church every time there's a service, but I'm telling you this right now, friends, there's a lot of people that go to church every time there's a service and that doesn't mean they're saved. That doesn't mean they're relying on the spirit of God to give them nourishment. So we have to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of saying, because I do this, that means I'm saved. I'm saved by grace through faith, not by faith through grace, but by grace. It's the grace of God that allowed me to have the faith to be able to believe. And I believe that, that we need to, to be conscious of what are we being fed by. Make sure you're going to a church that you feel the presence of God. I mean that. If you don't have a church, you experience the presence of God, then hey, and I mean, what I mean about that is you see lives being changed. You see there being testimonies around you. You see tears and you see passion. Listen, friends, that you don't have this. You don't have three chances at this deal. You got one life. Get yourself into a church to where you can experience the presence of God. You can feel the spirit of God convicting you of your sin and to where he reproves you. You know, he rebukes you. He changes you. That's where we need to be fed at the fountain gate. But then there's the sheep gate. And the sheep gate was where everyone brought in their sacrifices. So you brought, you you know, uh, kind of the name gives it away. They brought in their sacrifices. They brought in their lambs. They brought in things to be given in the temple. Remember the very temple that was going to be used that their uh, Ezra had then consecrated and called the people back to worship. And so this, t- this sheep gate basically is controls our relationships with other people. It's, it's, a, it's you know, you got to be careful with this gate. What we were doing when they were bringing those sacrifices in through that gate is as they were bringing their M, they would take them to the temple and they would share them with the priest. In the house of God, we have to be careful because as we know people more and as we fellowship more and as we bring things to God more, we get to know people closer and closer. We start seeing their their frailties. We start seeing their weaknesses. Matter of fact, we start seeing their sinful nature sometimes. 
if we really know somebody, and we have to be so careful that we don't get bitter in this area. This sheep gate was a gate that things were brought into the temple. Now, sheep, when they come in, I don't care how pretty you tell me a sheep is, they stink. They're not smart. I worked with sheep for years on the farm. I mean, they were the dumbest animals on the farm. Boy, someone out there is going to tell me they wouldn't. They'll probably send me a message. That's okay. Tell me about your experience because let me tell you something. We'd get them old rams caught up in the in the fence, and I mean, they wouldn't even let you help them. They'd try to kick you and everything else. You just about have to knock them in the head and knock them out to be able to help them get their horns unstuck. And the sheep were so dumb, you'd try to hurt them one way to the food or get them in out of the storm, and they'd run off from you. I mean, they don't have any sense but it wasn't pretty but you have to be careful when you don't see the beauty in someone anymore when you see you know that they have flaws and you know maybe they still have a little bit of a jealous spirit or maybe they still have a little bit of an anger problem or maybe they have a a problem to where they even yeah they even gossip you know that's still sin in the scripture to where when you see that you don't become bitter and think bad of them i heard this years ago in the old field a friend of mine he said don't ever write anyone off because they might be your boss tomorrow. And I thought about that, you know, maybe that's not the way to look at it, but I think there's a good principle there. Don't write anyone off because you know what? They might not only be your boss tomorrow, but they may be the one that gets to feed you spiritually. We just have to be so careful because bitterness will bring separation. And God wishes that none in the body of Christ would be separated, that we can have fellowship. We got problems we're going to have to work through. You know what? If you get to know me well enough, you're going to see some flaws in me. And I pray that you give me the grace when I need the grace. And brothers and sisters, if I see you stumble and I see you make a mistake, I'm going to try my best to give you grace because God has forgiven me of so much. You know, John 10, 14 says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known of mine. You know, I thank God that I'm known of the good shepherd. You know, I'm known of him and he knows me inside and out, but he still loves me. Friends, I pray that you can have relationships in the church to where you still love people, even though they have falls. And then there's the fish gate. And the fish gate was, of course, a kind of name gives it away again. That's where they would fish at the Mediterranean Sea, you know, and they would let allow in those those fish and and that produce of of their fishing uh, expeditions to come in through that gate. And, you know, they would that would be their nourishment. I mean, the city would be waiting. I mean, they're hoping they have a lot of fish because if they have tons of fish, then lo and behold, the price of the fish will be better. But if they have a few fish, then the price of the fish are probably going to be higher. But you have to be careful because this is the gate of nourishment. You know, again, we have to be so careful, not only that we're only nourished by the spirit of God and by the relationships we have in the church, but also we have to be careful because sometimes we get our needs met through worldly things. You know, I know it's old hat and I know no one wants to hear it, but we have to be careful of the things we listen to. The garbage, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You know, just like Jesus said, it's not the outside of the cup that makes you dirty, but it's it's what's inside the heart that comes out that makes you dirty. And I think it's a good principle to remember. We aren't whole and we aren't pure if we're putting garbage in our eyes and garbage in our ears. We have to be careful what our physical nourishment is, you know, what our needs, you know, what are we getting our needs met through? Are we getting our needs met through the flesh, through the things of the flesh, through things that aren't don't glorify God? Are we allowing the bad in and just saying, oh, well, we trust the grace of God. It's okay. You know, we've, we've not been called to be consumers of the pleasure machine. I know one preacher 
said. He said, you know, the pleasure machine will never work because eventually you'll get tired of whatever pleasure it is. No, we get pleasure in seeing the kingdom of God build up. We get pleasure. You know, God calls us to be a fisher of men. You know, Mark 641 says he had taken the five loaves of two fish. He looked up to heaven, blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set them. And the two fish had divided them among them all. And so he shared with other people the scripture. He shared actual physical nourishment with other people, but he wasn't, Jesus was not nourishing himself on the things of the sinful world. Draw nigh unto God, James says, and he'll draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You know, we have to draw nigh unto God. We have to be fishers of men. We can't consume lustful, you know, things. You know, I used to live a life I consumed alcohol. I used to live a life I consumed drugs. I used to live a life I consumed things that were ungodly, and I just fill up on things of the world. And But though what's the Bible say? Be not deceived. Galatians 6, 7 tells us, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that may also reap. When we sow in the world, we'll reap the world's confusion, the world's hate, the world's despair. You know, you think the world has the answers? Look at Hollywood. You know, millions and millions of dollars, and they're still killing themselves. Millions and millions of dollars. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. Millions and millions of dollars, and they can't figure out whether they're boys or girls. I mean, it's a shame where it leads to. But if we're in the kingdom of God, we need to remember what we allow to come in that fish gate. We don't allow things to nourish us that are of the world, but also what we bring in through that gate, we want to then share with others. Jesus did one thing. He shared himself with others. That's what he did. He gave the prostitute the time to talk to her. He gave the good, he gave the Samaritan, you know, the half breed is what they called him. He gave her time at the well. Would you like for me to draw you water? The woman said, and he said, if you knew which water that I'm going to offer you, you would ask me for water and you would never thirst again. Friend, I don't thirst for the things of the world. I don't thirst for the things that used to fill me up that were ungodly. And I know this is a process and I know it's a battle, but it is a battle worth fighting. And I want to have my gate open the right way to the right things to where I can help feed others. Friends, we only got one shot at this. One day we'll stand before an all sufficient God. And I pray that you can enjoy with me that he says, welcome in thou good and faithful servant. We're sons and daughters of God. We live so far below what God wants us to live. I believe that with all my heart. But when we when we really realize we're sons, we're daughters, he allows us to be servant, to serve him and to serve others. This is one of the greatest blessings I've ever had in my entire life. Friends, there's a bunch more gates we can talk about. I'll continue this next time. But until next time, friends, I pray that you go to the book of Nehemiah, you look in the scripture and you start studying these out for yourself. But until next time, friends, God bless.